Yeah. <laughs> Dave? Two, oh, no, sorry, are you ready? Yep, okay, I'm going to introduce Dave. This is how we do things here. We all make it up on the spot, so it's all natural. If this was a ship, by the way, we'd be sinking this side, wouldn't we? We'd be tipping over like that. It always, always works out like that. But um, we first, uh, our first connection with Dave Smithhurst was when we were running training schools in Youth with a Mission. We were sitting down the other day trying to work out how long ago it was. And, um, yeah, so it's been about 20 years since we saw Dave. Now, as soon as I saw him walk in, I knew it was Dave because he hasn't changed a bit in 20-odd years, and uh, neither have I, so he recognised me straight away as well because I also have the ageless, timeless gift. Um, anyway, um, Dave has been a huge blessing to us uh, throughout our time. We've been waiting for a good time to reconnect and to get Dave down here to Lismore. And as I mentioned at the start of the service, uh, there's a combined church service tonight at Centre Church at 6.30. So Dave will be uh, speaking there as well. So I thought, okay, well, we, we've got him in town for that. So let's steal him in the morning and get out of bed a little bit earlier and get down here and spend some time with us. So I'm very excited to hear what Dave has to say. I could introduce Dave by telling you all the things that he's been involved in all the things that he's done, but that would take up his entire message time. So I won't do that. I'll let Dave come and share what's on his heart with us. But can we give him a hand this morning? Welcome, Dave. Bless you, mate. Oh, that's my Okay. Yes, please. Good morning, everyone. I must say, you people are a bunch of smilers, and I find that very rare in some churches. And, you know, I look at the sign outside, and you must be in the wrong place. But... I love your style of worship, your friendliness, and that would make me want to move from Brisbane and come down to here. <laughs> and uh, my wife will tell you I don't fabricate. Um, I'll tell the truth. However, I want to compliment you on your worship, and I want to compliment you on such a good worship team. I mean, you guys are fantastic. Um, let me just finish this peppermint tea. Nothing worse than cold peppermint tea. <clears throat> First of all, your worship team is talented, good-looking, but more especially, very anointed. And because I travel a lot and I see the good, bad, and the ugly, um, they are good. They're extra good. And, um, you know... <sighs> They sang some difficult songs there that weren't really in the Redemption Hymnal. <laughs> Gee, that dates some of us singing out the Redemption Hymnal or Alexander's hymns. They were top of the pops when I got saved 57 years ago in South Africa. However, um, I must compliment the guitarists. Even the one at the back with his bass guitar plugged into the amplifier at the back. I've never seen that before. <laughs> Have you noticed with the chord, cha the chord changes of those guitarists? I used to play guitar, and I wrecked my hands boxing, and um, it's difficult to get some of those intricate chords uh, sort of packed up with guitar playing, but I recognize what sets a good guitarist aside from a great guitarist, chord changes. And you watch the chord changes next time. Make them self-conscious. And um, they, these guys are good, really. And to have a violinist... who can play, I mean, it's one thing playing the old hymns with the basic chords, but when you have to sing some of those unsingable songs with almost flat notes, I want you, you, you were fantastic. 
And I was standing right in front of her. I could get all the sound. That's why I took a photograph to show my wife. She wouldn't believe it. <laughs> my wife plays the cello. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just marvelous being with you. And look, I have something to share with you to start with by way of what the Lord put on my heart for you. <clears throat> um, I would call this maybe a word of knowledge, something I didn't know in the natural, something from God's knowledge that he imparted to me through you. And now I want you to understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are spiritually natural. Where the Holy Spirit just superimposes his thoughts over ours. And I love the way he messes with my thoughts. I can be having a wellaby time of worship and I get a little nudge from him in my thoughts. Just say this to the people. Oh, okay, I'll do that. I've learned to be obedient as quickly as possible. Otherwise, I tend to forget those things. And remember, halfway through my message, and that interrupts the flow. But God gave me something for you folk. Uh, there are some people here. I don't know who you are. Now, I'm an accountant by profession. Once an auditor, always an inquiring mind. <laughs> Actually, I got a backhanded compliment from a Rotary group that I spoke at in Narragin in WA. You know, in Rotary meetings, they fine you afterwards by finding a little fault in your life, and they go around with a little offering bag, and you've got to put 2 and $4 in, those of you who are Rotarians. And I got fined for being an accountant with personality. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help that. But um, I want to know who are the people that I'm sharing these things with. And sometimes the Holy Spirit says, it's none of your business, just discharge the gift. Well, here it is. <clears throat> there are some people here who you are not offended, you have no grievances, but you felt you've reached a bit of a stalemate and the pastor and his wife have not told me anything about you people. There hasn't been time. So this is coming from God. And you thought that you should have moved on because nothing's happening. You're in the doldrums. And you're planning to leave. You haven't told anyone yet. And God is saying to you, don't leave. You're not in the doldrums. You're not out of his will. You're not backslidden. You're in a state where God is preparing you for the next step in the future. And he's getting the structures and people in place for your next activity, whatever that's going to be in your service for him. Stay right where you are, because if you move, you're going to be too far away. You'll see your destiny take place without you there. And maybe you won't have the energy or the courage to come back. Stay right where you are, where God is preparing you. And you could be a spearhead of others from this church who are just longing for someone to start the action, to be proactive and move out in this particular project. And it'll be something great that will put this community on the map countrywide, where you could have, because of your obedience, leaders from here and overseas coming and sitting here, learning from you, and then taking it back to their communities to adapt it. So don't move. Don't move. Put that right out of your head. Don't even mention it to anybody. Just apologize to God. Say, God, I misinterpreted it. I'm staying right where you want me to be. <clears throat> now, there's somebody else. You don't have to come up and tell me afterwards, unless you want me to pray for you. And it'll stay just between the two of us. Um, somebody here, an individual, who has led a very protected life, where... Um, not that you've needed protection, you just had overcaring parents and relatives. And it's not that you're an imbecile or you're going, heading for an, um, a, a disability pension, nothing like that at all. You're able-minded, able-bodied, but you just had an abundance of overprotection. 
and people making decisions for you. So you've adept, adapted that to that mindset where you get an inclination to do something, but you feel you must bounce it off those people. And very often they've been negative towards it because it takes you out of their control. Now, there's nothing malicious about this. A lot of parents are like that. And grandparents too. <clears throat> and God is saying to you, he wants to speak to you directly and have your obedience, not through others. And he's already started showing you something, but you're fearful and apprehensive about it. I better not do this because they won't agree. It's time you stood up on your own feet, your own person with God, and saying, <clears throat> look, God wants me to do something. I'm embarking on this. I've checked it out. <clears throat> the, the markers are all in place. So I'm going in the right direction. And I'm doing this for God. Now, you're going to get opposition. But just be cool. Don't be vindictive. Just say, look, thank you for your care and your <clears throat> direction in the past, but you're not going to be around forever. And God wants me to grow up and be mature. Derek Prince used to call that growing up and wearing long pants. The older ones will remember the great Bible teacher, Derek Prince. And he said, beware of the short pants syndrome, where you don't let people grow up and be mature and wear long pants. <laughs> Whatever that meant to that British gentleman <clears throat> from Cambridge University. However, God is saying to you, he wants you to respond to him, be accountable for your actions, do the right things, and actually <clears throat> you will have disciplines in your life that you didn't realize you had because of those other people's disciplines in your life. And it's going to be great. <clears throat> but don't be bitter towards them, and don't go back to them and say, see, I told you so I could do it on my own. Don't be vindictive. Just be God's man, God's woman, and go do what God wants you to do. <sighs> Probably the most important things I've said here this morning. <clears throat> All right. Now, <clears throat> I have a little message. Oh, by the way, before I get any further, your pastor has kindly allowed me to bring some DVDs along at the back then, just to mention a couple. God has faith in you. My good friend, James Sloan, you're going to love talking to, him, to James because he's from Belfast, Northern Ireland. <clears throat> he's got a better accent than me. And you're going, you're going to listen to him talk. He came out here on a soccer contract in 1968 and stayed. I'm very glad because he's been a great blessing. And he's a great golfer as well. But he'll handle those DVD sales for you afterwards. Um, God has faith in you. In other words, this is for those people, and I want to give this to someone this morning, who uh, you've lost faith in yourself because of mistakes you've made. Maybe you embraced great promises from God in the past where uh, you feel that uh, because you've failed, you've been disobedient, God has relinquished that direction for you, not on. Because the callings of God are without recall. That call on your life still remains. And he has faith in you that you will fulfill your destiny. That's what this is all about. Because he sees you very differently from the way you see yourself. He sees you with a covering of the righteousness of Christ. And that makes all the difference. Now, I'm not going to impose on anyone this morning, embarrass you. But if you're in that situation, you're serving the Lord as best you can but you felt you missed out on a big call in your life maybe some years ago and God has come knocking on the door again and you're thinking, how can you trust me? Maybe I should pass this baton on to somebody else. No, God's call in your life hasn't been relinquished. I'm going to leave it over here. That's a gift to you. And I've got plenty on the table there if you happen to miss on that one. Go and talk to James, he'll give you another one. Being led by the Spirit to witness being led by the Holy Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit to share your faith with somebody. Very important. Don't miss that opportunity because it might be that person's last 
chance to receive Christ. I tell you, you want to be in that position to help them. Using the gifts of the Holy Spirit to witness. Very often I'm in cultures where <clears throat> you can't speak about Christ. Otherwise you go to prison. Um, or in places where people will be ultra-offended if you opened your mouth and spoke about Christ. I sit next to people like that on airplanes. Well, if you come up with a word of prophecy to someone sitting next to you on a plane about their marriage that nobody else knows but the husband and wife, they're going to say to you, this has happened to me, they're going to say, how do you know this stuff? Simply I say, I don't say, look, I'm a minister of the gospel. That'll cut them off straight away. I say, I'm just a simple follower of Jesus. And he loves you so much. He's dropped this thought into my mind to give to you, to show you he cares for you and he wants to fix the problem. I've seen these guys' tears running down their face. Within 20 minutes, I'm leading them to Jesus. Wouldn't have happened any other way than I mentioned that point of need. And I just love the way these gifts operate so unobtrusively. People were thinking, how did that guy get into my life? (laughs) Running your own unique race. In other words, you have a race to run differently from others. Because you're wired differently. You have different talents and gifts and abilities. Remember when 15-year-old David, the son of Jesse, I calculated that by the age of his older brothers, and he had three brothers in the army, fronting up to the Philistines and Goliath. And you were 20 when you went into the army. So David must have been about 15. He said, I'll go and take that giant out. King Saul, who stood about six foot two, six foot four, tried to put his armor on David. A 15-year-old shorty wearing the king's armor. He said, I can't do this. I haven't grown into it. He said, I'll do it my way. He ran his own unique race, and the rest is history. You've got a unique race to run. And I'll tell you what, you start running that race, others will come from the crowd and say, hey, I'm like you, can I run with you? Look behind you, you see hundreds running with you. Then, fulfilling your destiny. That speaks for itself. A lot of sporting stories in that, because I'm a a counsellor and chaplain at the Olympics and the Paralympics, the Rugby World Cup and the Commonwealth Games, and I draw so many parallels from that related to the Scriptures. Because some of it, actually mentioned by the Apostle Paul, come from the origins of the Olympics, way back in Greece, 660 years before Christ. That was when the first Olympic Games were handled. And then, well, I've told you them all, and I think I'm just going to leave them. Now, I believe, oh, please, please, folk, take a copy of our news bulletin at the back there, and just a bit of Sunday afternoon reading, and I covet, I crave your prayers. Because no ministry survives without prayer. And prayer tears down barriers, opens up nations, meets needs. So I crave your prayers. And here's a little piece of paper that I'd like you to take, which I've used all of my Christian life, because this is how I was taught how to lead people to the Lord, when I was 18. And the first seven people I led to the Lord... I read it straight off the page. Well, I had it on a tiny envelope, which I still have today, with my little scribble and asking the people to close their eyes. Now, the only reason I wanted them to close their eyes was that they couldn't see I was reading it off the paper. (laughs) And they got well and truly saved. By the time I'd led seven people to Christ, this was part of me. And, I mean, you people are committed to this too. That's why I think we blend so well. That... um, I want you to take this and you read through it and say, gosh, this is just logic. I can do this. Of course you can. 
Dick, why haven't I done it up to now? Well, take off and don't ever stop. They're on the table as well. All right, now, <clears throat> the scriptures. I wonder if you could pop up the first slide there, please, Luke. <clears throat> don't quit. Don't quit. Very straightforward, very blunt. But I perceive maybe there are some folk here, for a number of reasons that I'm going to mention, might be on the verge of quitting because you're discouraged, maybe even depressed. And I believe I could be hitting the target of a number of your situations this morning. If I don't, well, just take the warning. Don't quit. Now, Scripture? It's not moving up, Luke. Ah, there we are. <clears throat> Colossians 2, 6-8. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, here's Brother Paul writing to the Colossians who needed this challenge because obviously they were on the verge of being distracted to a lot of other things. And he went on to... Uh, you might have to move it along, Look, It's probably because it's been inactive for a little while. Uh, where it says... Um, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world which are anti-Christ and not according to Christ now all this is a warning to prevent people quitting and you people know this these are the basics the greatest decision that anyone sorry it's not moving is to receive Jesus into your life. You know that. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to receive Christ into your life because that decision causes your sins to be forgiven and you receive God's gift of eternal life. I mean, it changes your eternal destination from hell to heaven. It provides the potential and power, his power, for a wonderful quality of life on this planet and a new destiny. And when I present that to people, I mean, heathen businessmen who are not stupid, they say, why didn't I do this when I was a kid? I said, I don't know, I wasn't around then. But make up for lost time. You know, I, I love talking to lawyers on airplanes. They think they know it all. You confront them with a prophetic gift. <laughs> One guy, I was on a flight from Orlando in the United States to Chicago, direct flight, and I had a seminar that night. And um, I sat next to this fellow, and he didn't want to be spoken to. He pulled out his legal papers. His name was Samuel Jones, not the film star. And um, um, he, he didn't want to talk. So I took out my laptop and I began to collate some pictures together of the orphanages we support. And I'd just come back from the Beijing Olympics as counselor there. And um, about 20 minutes later, I get nudged by this guy. He said, I can't stand this any longer. What do you do for a living? <laughs> the power of that screen to attract people. And he said, all those kids. I said, I support orphans in Eastern Europe. How many? At that point, it was 5,500 in 50, 50 orphanages. And um, he said, and all those athletes. I said, well, I'm a chaplain and counselor at the Olympics and the Paralympics. Went on for a couple of minutes. And then he said, are you a preacher? And I thought, well, end of the conversation. I said, I am. He said, well, this is very fortuitous. I'm sitting next to you. He said, I have a problem. I thought, wow, thank you, Lord. And um, I said, Samuel, what is it? He said, two weeks ago, my seven-year-old granddaughter came to me and said, Grandpa, I'm very worried about you 
because um, I have Jesus in my heart and I'm going to heaven. This man's telling me this. And he said, she said, Grandpa, I know you don't have Jesus in your heart and I'm going to miss you. He said it was like a kick in my stomach. Only a granddaughter could have got away with that. And I'm thinking, boy, 20 minutes time I'm leading you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit checked me. The only time he's ever checked me. No, you're not. The granddaughter's going to do it. <laughs> I went along with that. So I said, Sam, this is what you do. When you get back to Orlando, you take your granddaughter out for a meal. You apologize to her for fobbing her off and say, sweetie, will you lead me to Jesus? She'll know what to pray. And then go to Sunday school with her. Don't embarrass by sitting in the seven-year-old class. Go to the adult Sunday school and learn. You'll learn more in Sunday school than you will as a Presbyterian church than um, from a lot of preaching other than this church. <clears throat> and he wrote to me four months later. He said, that's exactly what happened. My granddaughter led me to Jesus. I'm in Sunday school and I'm growing. First time, he must have been 70 years of age at that time. First time in 65 years, back in Sunday school. He said, I'm thinking of going on a kid's mission trip with her, maybe supporting her ministry one day. Gotcha! You know, intelligent people are gripped by this fact that they can have a different destiny. Right, next slide. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know the wonderful scripture, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away, all things have become new. Now, that decision is just the beginning. The challenge from then on is to follow Christ. Get out of the starting blocks, don't stay in the starting blocks. Now, following Jesus <laughs> is a little tougher. I mean, look at Luke 9.23. I mean, Jesus, you can't be serious. Of course he is serious. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up his cross daily. You know, anyone who took up a cross in Jerusalem in those days was advertising, I'm dead. You're not going to see me again. I'm a dead man. Die to self and live for Christ. Gets rid of a lot of baggage. You know, I hear people praying, Lord, we want to be on fire for Jesus. And when it all calms down after, I said, you know, you've invited the fire. You know what it's going to do? It's going to burn up all the rubbish in your life first. <laughs> Guy said, I'm sorry I prayed like that. I said, but God heard it, and it's going to happen. And then follow Jesus. Well, walk in his footsteps. And um, look, following Jesus is like swimming upstream against the flow. And that can be very discouraging sometimes. When your friends and family members are going downstream and you're the only one going upstream. Happened to me. I was the first one saved in the Smithhurst family in South Africa. Big international sporting family. I don't have time to tell you the sports. Who remembers back to the 80s Mornay Duplessis, the Springbank rugby captain? My cousin. His mum, my dad's sister. There was a time when Mornay was nine and I was 15. I was taller than him. Now he's about six foot five. <laughs> Just different genes. <clears throat> Actually, the only father and son in Springbuck rugby history that were both captains of the South African international team. And Mornay came to the Lord about 15 years ago. He's on fire for Jesus. I think of all those seeds I sowed into his life in the years past. Well, you know, others are watching you especially when the going gets tough. 
and my statement this morning, don't quit. Because they could be put off coming to Christ. So, don't give up. Don't quit. And don't bring condemnation on yourself. Let me just share with you a number of photographs. And if you wouldn't mind just running through those photographs. Others who could easily have quit, who've come under my influence. A little map of Eastern Europe there, if you don't mind. <clears throat> um, in the nations that I've been involved with over the last... Uh, oh, I was watching the screen at the back. You're sneaking up behind me here. Um, in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, Serbia, across the central part there, and right down to the bottom, just next to Syria there, is Lebanon, where I, I went for about six years. And it was just at a time when they come out of their 20-year civil war, and the Saddam Hussein had just started the war Desert Storm, and he couldn't aim for peanuts. He was aiming Scud missiles at Israel, and they were landing in Lebanon. And it just was a wonderful time of harvesting, because I was speaking in schools and universities. 70% um, Islamic, 30% Catholic, Christian. And um, they were coming to the Lord wholesale. In fact, they regarded it as a new destiny for their nation. And in the nation of Latvia, where I've been going for the last um, 29 years, uh, I've been supporting quite a number of orphanages in that nation, probably 30 at present in that nation, and a lot of them seriously handicapped. If you wouldn't mind moving the picture on again. Oh, you've got it up there. Uh, I'm giving you quick pictures of people that could have easily quit but they were as you put it this morning of a different ilk of um, a determination that Slavic culture that had resisted communism that had resisted the Nazi occupation and some of them had resisted the reign of the Tsars back at the time of Lenin and Marx stuff I studied in history could not believe those people were still alive and I was saying to those congregations you're my heroes the fact that you stayed in the race when others in Western society would have quit because of the persecution and watching their families ravaged in front of their faces and stuff like that. And they'd forgiven their oppressors and they'd gone on to love God and love the local church and become daring in evangelism. Well, of course, I ended up with two Russian pastors asking me to support two orphanages that had been dumped on them by the new Ministry of Health. I mean, they were getting money from NATO, they were getting money from uh, uh, Scandinavia, but yet they were, I mean, you know what politicians do with extra funds, goes into their pockets sometimes, and as a result, the Ministry of Health had nothing to support the orphanages. Orphanages that were created by the communists as a showcase. See, we are interested in social justice, they weren't. They were just saying to the world, um, you know, see, we do support orphans. So they were dumping these orphanages on the churches. And two Russian pastors came to me 28 years ago and said, please, can you help us? We can't even support ourselves. How are we going to support 350 kids? And I nearly said no. Smithers Ministries Incorporated wasn't structured as a charity then. And I knew what to do as an accountant and wasn't prepared to go down that road. The time, the paperwork, the funds, the fees. <sighs> well, I gave up. I said, okay. I'll support these 350 kids for two years, then you find the real hero that God has destined. <laughs> At the two-year mark, it was three orphanages. At the four-year mark, it was six orphanages. And you know what I said in my prayers? God, you con me. <laughs> well, it is. It's a divine con, 
Because God doesn't show you the big picture. If he did, it would blow you away. He stretches you a little bit and another picture. He stretches, and so I've grown with it. Now, any time I could back out, but I would not have had the privilege of seeing these kids grow up, get some advanced education that we try and provide, put them through work-related courses. They haven't a clue what's going on in the outside world. And um, you want to just move through the pictures there, um, uh, please, Luke. And, um, uh, and to see these kids get good jobs right across the European Union. Then I get pictures from their weddings. And then pictures when their children are born. And I think, God, this is payday. This is payday from orphans who would have perished. You, you don't ever send them to hospital from an orphanage. They die in the hospital. I pay for the medication to go into the hospital. Kept kids alive in minus 33 degrees winter. And I'm heading over to a winter there to Ukraine. <laughs> I'm a wimp when it comes to cold. I'm dressed like the Michelin man. But anyway, down to the next map in Ukraine, where <clears throat> I, that, that country has been at war. And um, they <clears throat> are still fighting the remnants of the Russian rebel army. I'm involved in that. Because piggybacking on supporting orphans, I actually went to a Baptist church. That was quite Pentecostal, actually. And the pastor said, this church is not growing because we're not witnessing. He said, um, can you teach us how to win our families and our friends to Christ? Now, I specialize on that, like I did to your YWAM students. The church began to grow. I didn't know that man was the chaplain general of the NATO forces, military, navy, and air force in the Baltic region. They got some troops back from Afghanistan, some in boxes, body parts in buckets. Um, guys and women too, commandos, having lost limbs, and 40% of the marriages dissolving. They had no army. And the Brigadier, Brigadier General of NATO, a full-on Christian but as tough as nails, career soldier, said to the chaplain, Chaplain, can you fix this? He said, no, sir, I don't have that experience, but I know someone who does this. And he told him about me. And the man said, but he's a foreigner. What does he know about our nation? Well, sir, he's been coming here for decades. And he speaks a bit of our language. Actually, I speak better Russian than I do Latvian. And um, he said, um, besides that, he supports 30 orphanages in this nation. And the man said, well, tell him. We want him here in a week's time. And it was minus 25 degrees. I nearly chickened out on that one. And he said, um, tell him we can't pay him anything, so nothing changes. <laughs> and give him two mandates. And I love these mandates. Tell him I want him to prepare my troops for eternity. In other words, bring them to Christ, and if anyone complains, send them to me. Nobody's complained. <laughs> and try and fix up the problems with the marriages. And that's, that's what I do at the Olympics. The biggest problems that top athletes have problems with their marriages and their teenage kids. And I'm speaking to that area. Over the last nine years, this has spilled over to Ukraine, because Latvia, that used to train Ukrainian soldiers, has now set up bases, NATO bases, in Ukraine. Now, you see where this is going. Just through a simple decision, okay, I'll help you support two orphanages for two years. What a platform. I've spoken to 55,000 troops in the last nine years. I'm going to say whatever I like to bring them to Christ. I've had men sitting in the audience bleeding 
with wounds that hadn't been tended properly. Excusing themselves, going out and cleared, cleaned up, coming back, and then giving their lives to Christ. I wouldn't give this up for anything. In fact, my wife and I have a little pact. I wonder if you, somebody could tighten that for me. Thank you. Because it's your mic stand, right? <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, um, I, yes, I am very much shorter than you. Actually, you're probably a longer speaker than me too, by about six inches. Thank you, man. Thank you. And of course, in Ukraine, uh, you want to move the pictures on, please, Luke, the warfare that's been going through on the streets and um, <clears throat> the, um, the kids that have survived this war. Could just shift through the pictures, please. Um, oh, I can control it, I think. No, I can't. You're the control freak. Thank you, Luke. <clears throat> and, um, but these are all kids. I'm showing you these pictures because they could have quit, but they didn't. Especially some of the uh, little deaf kids. We found three orphanages. Well, they made up three orphanages, about 50 of them. They were deaf. They had families in the morning. The Russian rebel army bombed their villages. And they were found a few days later huddled together in bombed-out basements, not knowing where their parents were, where they had a family in the morning, and by the evening there was no family. And to find a Russian-speaking psychologist who could do sign language, boy, did that cost me plenty, to give the kids an explanation and some closure. And then, of course, uh, a very special little group of people, brain-damaged kids. How I get involved in this is still a mystery. I've been involved with these kids about seven years. And I'd, I'd hold these little kids. They, they're born with brain damage. And a sing, young single mother would see it was damaged and just throw it in a trash can after giving birth in a local park. And a, somebody passing by later, seeing this little kid squalling amongst the newspapers and McDonald wrappers, wrap it up, take it to the police station. Police didn't want any paperwork. Straight down the street to the orphanage, handed over, they did the paperwork. And I, I'm probably the only outsider because we provided them with medication and equipment and stuff to help the kids' motor coordination. Up to the age of 10. Then they move to another orphanage where their, their minds are developed. And previous to this, I don't know what happened. The kids were vegetables when they got there. Now we've got equipment in place that improves their motor co It costs plenty from Poland, but it's provided for these kids. By the time they're 8, they're running around playing outside with their friends. And when they're 10, they move on. Their minds get developed. And that's payday for me. And I think I'm the only outsider that's allowed to come in and pick these kids up. And I tell the staff, you're like angels. They said, you mean heavenly angels? I said, no. The theological term for angel is a messenger. You're a messenger from God helping these kids. And the ladies just stand there and cry. And then, of course, <clears throat> the homeless kids. I found there were homeless kids living under the city of Odessa. Big city in the south on the Black Sea. Where... Um, they left home between six and nine years of age because their mothers were running brothels and allowing the perverts to molest the kids, extra money for the mother's drug habits. And I was determined to get those kids out. My manager, Oleg, he was the little ball guy amongst all those homeless kids living in the drains with the rats, the sickness, the disease, the cold, the perverts, and the police coming in to molest them at gunpoint. I've encountered that. And the police threatened to shoot me, and I whipped out a a letter signed by the mayor of the city that allowed me permission to be there with my local team. And um, they said, if you report us, we'll come back and kill the kids. 
So then I went on a crusade to get those kids out of the grains into a homeless kids centre. We have two homeless kids centres now. We've rescued about 255 kids. And they have been dynamic. Just move on to the next picture, Luke, of uh, the, uh, the crowd seen in the church. We had, they couldn't, not that one, they couldn't fit into a regular church. They were evicted. Well, they didn't have a great attention span and they saw a bunch of traditions that meant nothing. They tried to change things and they got fired. They actually wanted to go and kill the pastor. And I said, but just forgive the idiot and carry on. And they said, no, God works too fast. We'll deal with him. Oh, God works too slowly. We'll deal with him. Well, we pacified them. They are a bunch of renegades for Christ. Their, their attention span is only about 15 minutes. Then they start, no matter who the speaker is, they start witnessing to the person next to them that they dragged off the street to bring into the service and get them saved. The speaker's got to stop because nobody's listening to him. Thank you for your attention this morning. But then, of course, if you just skip on, we happen to lead to the Lord, the European welterweight kickboxing champion, the guy on <clears throat> the right-hand side of the picture, Igor Mudgel, newly saved, and he got these kids into a gym that I paid for. The seniors and then the juniors, a separate group, and he began to train them in disciplines, taekwondo, karate, kickboxing, and, and not everyone flowed with that, but it was discipline in their lives. And they had to have a chapel service for 15 minutes, three times a week. That was their church. They began to grow. And I, about four years ago, when I met some of the younger kids, I was going to give an altar call and a little 12-year-old boy put his hand up, a rough little kid, and he said, so don't waste your time with that. We're all saved already and we know it. Oh. <laughs> put down by a 12-year-old urchin who knew he was saved. And of course, next picture, this guy, Vladimir, became a gold medal kickboxing champion. He's a world champion, world champion. And um, he was the first one, next pick, please, Luke, he, the first one who wanted to go to Bible college. I sent him to Moscow to a, a, a missionary college where they'd get full-scale missionary training, 11 months, $150 a month. And, I mean, he's a licensed preacher. Now, in the Russian communities, Eastern Europe and in Russia, if you're not licensed, you go to prison for preaching anywhere. You've got a license. Nobody can keep him quiet. I have a whole bunch of guys, just move on please Luke, um, a whole bunch of people lined up. Vladimir preaching there. Next one. <clears throat> um, that little guy in the white sweater today is the next one. Next picture. His name is Igor Klemenkov and he's a delightful man. He's become a tremendous famous kickboxer and long distance runner. He's the next one for Bible college. He had to finish his schooling first. All right. Now, let me just <clears throat> say to you, what has discouraged you so much? Now, I'm just going to <clears throat> run through a number of issues. I don't have time to show you all the slides. Um, uh, there have been issue of your friends. Maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe a friend has deserted you. Maybe because you decided to follow Christ more deeply and avidly, and they couldn't handle that. Not your fault. Don't beat yourself up and back away from God for the sake of that friendship. If you do, you're going to show that friend it's okay not to be obedient to God. You stand your ground. Maybe they'll get convicted and start following Christ. But if they haven't, let them go. And if they get bitter against you, forgive them. Don't waste your time fighting them. They could turn around and come back later on when they hit the wall and they'll call you to help them. And, you know, sometimes it just lets you know how shallow some people really are. 
Because a friendship has to be a two-way street. Maybe it's a sickness or a disease that's overtaken you, and the symptoms just don't go away. Well, I'm not going to get into a theological argument about Paul's thorn in the flesh, whether it was a physical ailment or was a spiritual attack. That was something that never went away. He had to live with it, get on top of it, and it probably spurred him on and motivated him even more. Because if you do have an ailment and you're trying to bargain with God, Lord, you know, heal me and I'll serve you. He'll say, I'd like to, but I want to see how you're going to handle this. And I want to tell you, when you keep going for Christ in spite of adversity, that's when your witness can be the best, the most powerful, because people are watching you. How are you going to handle this? Because it's easy in the eyes of the world to follow Christ when things are going well. When things are going tough, how do you make it? Can you put up that first movie clip? Please, look. If you've seen this before, it's not a cheese advert. It's about a mouse who gets caught in a trap. If you've seen it, well, you can act surprised like everyone else will. <clears throat> because there be situations that you can get into where life is just very innocent, but suddenly it turns sour. And you've got to do something about it. Have a look at this. The movie clip come up, just double tap on it. Because you've got the link to the, the movie you uploaded. Not working. All right, not to worry. <clears throat> oh, it's just a little fault. Because the movie clip's embedded in the slide and I had to put it on the flash drive for them to upload. And Luke did that, but not to worry. <clears throat> um, I want to take you, if you wouldn't mind, right to the end <clears throat> of the movie, of the slide um, presentation, please, um, where <clears throat> it's all about teamwork. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Can you find that verse? It's just before the picture of Usain Bolt winning a relay race. Further on down the list. Um, Do you know, not know, that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. Now did you know that that was, Paul was talking about a race that was very familiar in Corinth, in northern Greece, and in the marketplaces they would see the start of that race. If you've ever been to ancient Corinthos, I was when I was at the chaplain at the Athens Olympics. I went up to that area. They had a running track about 150 meters long in front of all the stalls, marble stalls, where the tent makers, the harness makers, etc., as Paul and, and um, uh, Aquila were. And um, they would watch the start of this race. Now, we tend to think a race like this is a sprint. No, it wasn't. It was 160 kilometers long and was run by teams against other teams from Athens to Marathon to Corinthos and back to Athens, about 160 kilometers. And each athlete ran about 20 to 30 kilometers. They passed a baton of sorts on. Now, in those races, there was a particular athlete who was highly prized by the managers and coaches called a lag runner, a lag runner. And the name describes him. He was more experienced, more disciplined, um, stronger, faster than the average athlete. 
And he was normally put at the worst possible place of the race, where the terrain was tortuous, where the opposition was murderous. You were allowed to murder the opposition. The emperors praised that. Gee, I wouldn't get away politically correct Olympics today. Um, and say at a particular spot of the race, this lag runner was waiting for... Thank you, sir. <clears throat> okay. Lactose-free ice cream. <clears throat> Thank you. Where <clears throat> his opposition had passed him, but his previous athlete hadn't arrived. He'd get worried, and he'd run back and found the guy injured or beaten up. And he wouldn't rob him of his dignity and take the baton and run ahead. He would pick the guy up on his shoulders and run with him to the end of his lap so he could finish his lap with honour. Then this lag runner would take the baton and run furiously, making up for the lag, hence his name. Then pass it on to another athlete at the end of his 30 kilometres. And if that was an inexperienced athlete, he'd run with him at least half his distance. So lag runners knew they were expected to run twice their distance to make sure the team won. And I'm looking <clears throat> at a bunch of lag runners here today. You're not together by chance. You're not in this place by chance. God has a plan. And you're lag runners to help others to run their race and fulfill their destiny. Now there's going to be a skip over from that to tonight's meeting. <clears throat> But I'd like to go right to the end of the, <clears throat> if you don't mind, <clears throat> Luke, to the part of the, um, uh, where um, <clears throat> the, uh, the picture of the Titanic is. <laughs> we all know, in 1912, <clears throat> a very big ship left the coast of England on its maiden voyage. It never made it. Struck an iceberg and it sank. In a couple of hours it was gone. There were other ships in the vicinity who picked up the radio signals, the Morse radio signals, that the Titanic was in trouble. They began steaming in that area, but there were various ice packs around they had to negotiate through. Titanic had gone. A lot of the people, 1,512 people had died. And that story fascinated me. I wondered why. Then I found there was another ship in the area, if you, the Californian, a sister ship to the Titanic <clears throat> out of Liverpool in England, actually manufactured in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And um, that ship was one of the closest. And the captain kept haggling. I couldn't get there in time. We were 32 kilometers away. He was a liar. Came out in a book called The Midnight Watch about this captain. Captain Lord was his name, <laughs> misnamed. And he didn't want to pick up those people in the water, the bodies or survivors, didn't want to mess up his ship, basically, and he commanded his crew to lie. And he died very infamously. But he said, we were 32 kilometers away and couldn't get there in time. When they'd worked out the winds and the currents, he was actually eight kilometers away. He was close enough to start rescuing. And most of those people need not have perished. And I'm making a little submission to you this morning. The people close to you, your family, your colleagues, your friends, those categories are difficult to witness into, but they're watching you. And very often, you can pick up on a little point of contact. You want to know what's... 
making me survive through this? It's my relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of your friends are watching you. And even strangers heard about you, come to visit you, want to know what makes you tick. That's how I got saved 57 years ago. I was training swimming with the South African Olympic swimming team. I was assigned to swim with a young man from Rhodesia. He was lonely. He was 1,500 miles, 2,000 kilometers away from home. He had a Central African disease called Bilharzia, caused by a parasite that ate away the lining of the bladder. And the treatment was worse than the sickness at that time. And I said to him, Trevor, he was 16, I was 17. I said, I don't know what you, I think you're weird. I never heard you complaining. I've never heard you um, uh, criticizing anybody. You go out of your way to help people and you are suffering in an unimaginable way. What have you got that keeps you glued together? And I was staggered at his answer. He said, Dave, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't you? Now, I knew who Jesus was. Figurehead of the church, a great figure in history, but how do you have a relationship with someone so remote? Because he sowed those seeds. Within a month, I was saved. And I owe Trevor big time. And he was most surprised that I... One of the top swimmers in that squad. I never got to the Olympics. I wasn't that good. And you had to have money. We didn't have money. There were no sponsors in those days. Um, That his senior should ask him about his relationship with Jesus. I got saved because of that. You don't know how many of your friends are just longing to hear those words. I have a relationship with Jesus. Can I help you? Would you close your eyes, please? I want you to make a decision. Whatever may be motivating you to quit, put it aside. You just decide resolutely, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on going, Lord. I want you to trust me. You've given me resilience. I don't have a spirit of fear and intimidation. I have the power and the love of God in me. And you're going to continue. And then make a decision. Lord, give me creative opportunities to share Christ with others. And I tell you what, I ask for this every day. And I had a bad day if I don't get at least three opportunities to share Jesus with people. And that's not because I'm an evangelist. I was doing this before I came to ministry. You can do it. God's got confidence in you. Now, you know what I'd love you to do? How about you all stand? Just stand to your feet. Reach out and hold hands with each other. Come on, this is teamwork. Your lag runners holding hands with each other. I'm like a orangutan. (laughs) And you have got long arms. Now I'm going to lead you in a very famous prayer. In fact, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray this prayer. It wasn't the Lord's Prayer. You'll find it in... Matthew and Luke. There's a big crowd of people. Jesus saw they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are desperately few. Beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So let's pray that prayer. I'll lead you. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord of the harvest, I see that the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are so few. I beg you, Lord, send out laborers into your harvest. 
Here am I, Lord. Please send me. Now, I want you to know he heard that prayer. Even if you prayed it a little fearfully, that's all right. He's going to give you opportunities. And don't beat yourself up if you miss an opportunity. He'll give you another chance and another chance. Oh, I tell you, I could kick myself some of the opportunities I've missed. But then I said, Lord, give me another. A week later, I meet the guy again. I'm, not going to, I'm almost jumping into his lap telling him about Jesus. <laughs> Take one of these little pages off the table there, how to lead someone to Christ. And say, look, I know how to help you. Would you like to pray this prayer with me? Close your eyes. This is serious. I need you to think about this. Just ask them to close their eyes so they don't see you reading it off the paper. And they'll pray with you. Bring them to church with you. Because if this church is good enough for you, then it's good enough for them. Don't leave them out in the cold. Folk, God bless you. Thank you for the way you've listened. Thank you for receiving the message. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I, can I just encourage you before we wrap up, um, if you've got any questions for, about anything that Dave's spoken about, Dave's going to hang around up the front here for a bit, please come and, and, and grab him, clarify anything. Uh, maybe you might have some questions about the orphanage work and what's going on over there as well. Uh, also, don't forget the DVDs and stuff up the back uh, on the table too. Uh, just just to, to say, and I know that, that um, Dave wouldn't mind me saying this, uh, but you're all aware of this, that because we talk about it ourselves with what we do here, the things that we do uh, ministry-wise outside there in the world for uh, the extension of the kingdom of God, they cost money. And I know that you value our prayers, and uh, we will be praying for you. But let me encourage you as well that if you feel like the Lord's been speaking to you and laid something on your heart, um, these these ventures cost money. Dave doesn't do this for money. Uh, he doesn't get uh, you know goes around. He trusts God as as he does for all the things uh, in their ministry. So if the Lord's laid something on your heart, or you want to know some more, or whatever is there, uh, just let it up there. He'll have some details on there as well. Yeah. There you go. So please grab that. I'm just going to close. We have a prayer that we pray every Sunday before we finish up as well. So we're just going to pray uh, as we leave this place. Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. God, I want to pray for those people at the start of Dave's message, God, those words of knowledge that uh, you gave him. Father, I pray uh, for those people that are here today, Lord, that word would speak to them. It would be a seed. Lord, I pray it would, would take root. God, they wouldn't move on from here in the cares and worries of life and forget about it. But, Father, they would receive it and act upon uh, what you're saying to them, Father. And, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room, God, in the next seven days, would you give every one of us an opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, somebody that up to this point doesn't know about it yet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Don't forget, uh, Centre Church tonight for part two. Uh, we'll call it part two. It's probably going to be part one with a bit of two, but whatever. But please, uh, if you're uh, available, and uh, maybe get on the phone, ring up somebody, say, hey, you should have been here this morning, but you weren't, but you can be here tonight. So come down to Central Church, 6.30 tonight for the combined church service. Have a fantastic week, and uh, we'll catch up with you during the week somewhere. Bless you, guys. Mama.